And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, and said to him, To you I give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Good morning. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. And we pray, Lord, for your Holy Spirit to be with us this morning, uh, ministering to people here. We ask, God, that you would show us uh, what you want us to know from this segment of Scripture. In Jesus' name, amen. You know when you you look for work, there are certain perks within that company. Uh, One of the perks at Regen is uh, I get to clean the chicken coop. And uh, I did that that yesterday, and um, they stink. They really stink. But I thank them for their eggs. And... um, but when you apply to a job, uh, usually it's more than just salary, right? Usually it's more than just pay. Some, some of the things we look for, right, health benefits, retirement benefits, adoption assistance, education reimbursement, uh, all these different things, right, that, that we look for, life insurance, paid time off, all this stuff, right? So, so we look for the, the perks. We look for the benefits, right? And that's important stuff to look for in companies, Especially in the Bay Area, you, we got to be competitive, right? We have to offer a, a package that is competitive to other companies. Now, sometimes this happens in the service of God as well. And you take a look at Job, where, where Satan said to Job in Job chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. So in other words, of course he serves you. You pay him really well. You've given him a really, really good package. Right? You, you've, you've given him everything, all the perks, all the benefits. That's why he's serving you. And the question Satan was essentially asking God was, will a person serve you for nothing? Will a man serve you without any benefits? Will a woman serve you without any perks? For nothing, will someone serve God? So that's a question for us. Will we serve God without any perks, without any benefits? And that's an important question to ask ourselves. That's the question that was asked of Jesus in the testing of God's Son in our text this morning. There were no perks for Jesus. And there seems to be no benefits through these temptations. There seems to be no relief from these trials. And Jesus seems to show us this enduring obedience with no perks, just nothing. And there was no intervention from God. He just had to endure it. Which leads us to a question for ourselves. Will I serve God if there were no benefits? If there were no perks, would I still serve 
a living God. And that seems to be the test Jesus is facing here. And sometimes it's a test that we face. So let's take a look at this account of Jesus' temptations and and look at the emphasis in each of these temptations listed. Then let's take a look at the devil's approach and and what the devil uses here. So verses 1 through 4. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from Jordan, the Jordan, and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. The first temptation is centered on me. right? Me. It focuses on me. And you notice that verse 3 and verse 4, they fixate on Jesus' need. And the devil wants Jesus to be preoccupied, focused on his own needs. Now Jesus' Jesus need was a legit need. Right? 40 days without eating anything. This, this is not some frivolous thing. He was legitimately hungry. He was legitimately in need. 40 days not eating. I get hungry after 40 minutes. And especially when I eat Chinese food. I don't, I don't get it. Like, I'm hungry again. And so this is a legitimate need. Right? Nothing wrong with this need. It's completely reasonable, completely appropriate. But the devil didn't just present a solution to Jesus' need. He inserted his own element of truth here. And do you notice this in verse 3? How he starts out by saying, If you are the Son of God. The devil isn't saying this with a sense of doubt, though. Right? He's not, he, he, he knows Jesus is the Son of God. He, he knows it. So he's not doubting that. He is saying this as though he's assuming the truth, that, that it is the case. If you are the Son of God, and you are, then tell this stone to become bread. Then the devil makes this suggestion here. He, he insinuates something. He has this innuendo here. He says, Jesus, here, here you are in need. Right? And God, God allowed you to be in this state of need. Your Father isn't relieving you of this need of yours. Right? It's been 40 days. 40 days. God has put you in this situation. He hasn't eased your need. Where's the provision? So, since you are the Son of God, and since you do have power, you can act independently of your Father. You can provide for your own needs that God hasn't supplied you. And the devil is trying to preoccupy Jesus with his needs and act independently of God. Jesus, you got baptized several weeks ago. And God said back then that you were his beloved son and and with you he was well pleased. What happened? Why why are you there? Right? I thought the the heavens parted. This this little bird came to the little dove and floated on you. And, And here you are, deprived of need in this trial. No provision. Your, your dad has failed you. God has failed you. What does Jesus say in his reply? Jesus quotes Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. And in its context, it's implying that... We'll talk about its context a little. It says, man shall not live by bread alone. So what was the context of Deuteronomy chapter 8 that it can apply to Jesus in, in this situation here? Well, the Lord was speaking about what Israel needed to remember about how God treated them in that trial back then. And so one of the living things or one of the things the living God had in mind when he allowed Israel to experience hunger in in their wilderness experience when they came out of Egypt was trying to get them to know that man does not live by bread alone. 
But man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Now, what does that mean? Well, this is referring to that Exodus 16 story, that story of manna. Right? And manna, that, that food particle that, that God provided every day and it disappeared every day. And if they went out on Monday to gather it, then it would be gone later on that day. And they would have to gather it each day for that day, except for that Sabbath. He would provide double that amount so they can not have to work on that Sabbath. But they had to trust God to provide manna on Tuesday for Tuesday. And then they had to trust God to provide manna on Wednesday for Wednesday and then Thursday. So, so that was Moses' point there. That it's not just about food that gives life. But where does that food come from? Right? We, we can't be so short-sighted, right? Oh, food. And just focus on the food. But, but where did it come from? How does the manna come every day? Who's behind this, this gift of food coming every day? It's coming from the Lord and His decision to sustain us each day. And Moses was telling Israel that they don't exist because there is manna. They exist because there is God who provides the manna. That there is food for them. Moses was telling them that they exist because the living God decided again and again and decided every day to keep His people alive. And here's the manna every day. And, and, and give the credit to whom the food came from, not the food itself. And you look beyond the food and, and why there is life amongst us, right? And so in Luke 4, Jesus, Jesus is saying, I will go on living if God sustains me and I won't act independently of my Father. And if God wills that I live, He will see to it that I am sustained. How does the devil tempt us today? One of those ways is through our needs, legitimate needs. Not, I'm not talking about like just frivolous needs, like you need a new iPhone or something like that. This is like, like real stuff, um, stuff you are seriously distressed about if you don't have. I know some of you are distressed without an iPhone, but that, that's not what I mean. Like, so where we would define it as a trial by having this need, right? And, and, and that if we go longer without it, things just get more and more difficult, and it's just... It just gets harder the longer it goes on. Like food. Like shelter. And where the devil questions us with, you know, you're a child of God, right? You you accepted Jesus. You you trust Jesus. And and you've been in this trial for how long? How long have you been there? How, How long have you been going through this? And you go through this trial over and over and over again, and, and there's no relief? Wow. What, what kind of God is that? Day after day, week after week, year after year, you go through the same stuff? I mean, God, I don't think He cares for you. I, I think He's failed you. But why won't He do anything to stop what's going on in your life? That, that doesn't make sense, does it? And so the devil fixates on our needs. And and so how does Jesus respond? Jesus submitted to the mystery of God's ways. He wouldn't act independently of God. right? if, If God provides, he lives. And he submitted to the mysteries of God's ways. And the way God used Moses for Israel in Deuteronomy 8, no doubt helps sustain Jesus. Jesus remembers, oh, Deuteronomy 8, God provides for Israel. He knew what was written in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. 
When Jesus was in the wilderness, it wasn't an enjoyable place to be. But God still leads in the wilderness. Right? The Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. And so how encouraging that scripture was in the context that it was in for Jesus. Right? Jesus was in the wilderness where it was lonely, where it was desolate. But he knew God leads in wilderness situations. And some of you might be in the wilderness. Some of you may be needing a reminder that God works in the wilderness. And you're in there. And you've been there for a while. But he's there. He hasn't left you. And even though it's a trial that has lasted a long time, maybe even 40 years just like it was for the Israelites, or maybe it was 40 days like it was for Jesus, where there's just no relief, where the difficulty you're going through is just so strong and and present in your life, remember that in the wilderness, God still leads. And so you let God sustain you even in this really difficult time. And even though you've, you've had to endure it for a really long time and you just don't know how long it's going to be, God still leads in the wilderness. So the devil tries to preoccupy us with our needs, legitimate needs. And secondly, he tries to put before us a, a reversal of order. Right? There, there's an order to how things happen. And the devil wants to lead us away from our spiritual journeys by having us look for easier ways out. Right? This is what we find in the second temptation, verses 5-8. through eight. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will, I, will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written... You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. What's happening here? The devil is offering something to Jesus now. Right now. Jesus, you can have everything right now. All the kingdoms of the world, all their glory can be given to you right now. Now, Jesus was already promised all this stuff in Psalm chapter 2, verse 8. Right? Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. Jesus was already promised that from God the Father. God already told the Messiah that the nation are, nations are going to be His. Jesus already had this promise to Him. It was all promised to Him already. It was the will of God that Jesus would possess all of this. But the way Jesus was going to obtain all of this was by way of suffering. Right? The place of glory was arrived at by way of suffering. That was the decision Jesus made at His baptism. You remember last week, last week's message when Jesus was baptized. He was willingly standing in the place of sinners to take their place. and Because only sinners need to get baptized, right? So Jesus is willingly standing in the place for sinners. And when Jesus was also hanging on that cross, He was also willingly hanging there for us. And the way Jesus was making His way to inheriting all the kingdoms and their glory was through the path of suffering. It had to go through the cross. So do you see what the devil was tempting Jesus with? He was telling Jesus, you know, you don't have to bother with that stuff. Why are you standing in that body of water? Why do you need to go hang on that cross? Why do you need to do all this stuff? That Jesus didn't have to go through the path of suffering to become 
something that he was destined to be and to be glorified in that place. Why go through that long path of obedient suffering if you can just have it all now? Just, why just, just bypass all that stuff? And the devil was telling Jesus that, you know, you don't have to suffer. You don't have to go through that really difficult path. It's just, it's, it's a waste of time. Take, take this shortcut. And all Jesus had to do was worship the devil. So you see how the devil is reversing the order that God has established. Right? There are these laws in the kingdom of God. There are certain ways that things happen in God's kingdom. There's an order. And one of these orders and the ways that things happen is that suffering comes before glory. Suffering precedes glory. And it's not the other way around. You don't get the glory and then suffer later. You suffer first and then there's a the glory. There, there, there are things that have to go in a certain order. Let's just use changing oil, for example. Because I just did it a couple weeks ago in our church parking lot. I don't worry, I didn't throw it down the gutter or anything. I, I took it to Cragen and I recycled the oil and stuff. I did it very properly. So I'm, I'm in the parking lot and, and, oh, I get to meet this cool neighbor too, but I'll, that's a story for another time. But So I'm doing this, this oil change, right? And, and there's an order to an oil change, right? You, you have to unscrew the, the bottom, the oil plug, and then let the oil drain out, right? And, and, and you have to wait for it to drain out and then you uncap it and, and then before you pour the oil in, you plug it back in and then you pour the new oil in. And then you close it. That's the order. You cannot pour new oil into the oil pan without draining the old oil. That's not called an oil change. That's just called adding oil. And so you can't do, and you have to put the plug back in before you pour new oil. Otherwise, it'll just leak out. Right? You have to remember to pour oil in. If you drain it and you plug it, you have to remember to pour new oil in. Otherwise, you don't have a car. It, very shortly, right? There, there is an order to how things are going here. And, and you can't do these things. Otherwise, otherwise, you're not doing it properly. Otherwise, you can cause a, a destruction in your motor. There, there are these processes of things come before other things. And so it is with the kingdom of God. So it is with the Christian life. As shown to us through the scriptures, there's an order to how things happen. And one of these orders of the kingdom, the kingdom of God is, is that suffering precedes glory. Suffering comes before glory. And we don't like to hear that in our culture. We, we, don't, we, we like comforts. We like how things just flow smoothly. But the scriptures tell us something different than our culture does, than our society does. Romans 8, chapter, uh, verses 16 through 18. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And you take a look at Acts chapter 14, verse 22. This is when Paul and Barnabas were coming back from a mission, visiting churches and fellow believers. It reads this, Strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. 
We have to go through many tribulations. We must enter the kingdom of God. That's just not good marketing tactics for Christianity, is it? It's, it's just not. That's, that's not a good way to attract people to the Christian faith. You know how you enter the kingdom? You have to go through many tribulations. And it's not just like a few. Right? You have to go through a couple. You have to go through many and there's not even an exact number that they give you. Like, okay, 75. I got 75, I'm at, I'm at 73. I got two more and I'm done. It just says many. And so it says you must. It's a requirement to enter the kingdom of God. To enter the kingdom of God is a requirement, right? But it's through suffering. And going through many tribulations to enter the kingdom of God. And you're like, time out, God. Time out. God, huddle up. Like, this, this ain't going to work. If we want to get people in, how, you want to make them suffer? Like, you couldn't go through tribulations and stuff? Just make them happy. Give them stuff. Right? You provide them with stuff. No. It's a must to enter the kingdom of God. We know that it's a must to enter the kingdom of God. We want to be with the Lord. But how do you do it? Through many tribulations. We won't enjoy the kingdom or its benefits unless it's entered through many tribulations. And it's that order. Suffering precedes glory. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, Paul was worried about the Thessalonian Christians there because he was, he was worried that they might be moved by their afflictions, right? So he was worried that they would become unsettled in their trials. Paul tells them in verse 3, For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. We are destined for affliction. Some more successful marketing tactics for Christianity. We are destined for affliction. But that's the order. And so you keep that in mind as, as we go through difficulties in our life. Right? Suffering comes before glory. And some of us might be suffering because we do have a relationship with Jesus. We face opposition at work, at school, in family because we are Christian. And some of our suffering may be in the form of our circumstances that we're going through some trials in our life and, and there, it's just testing our faith and it's been going on for a while. Suffering precedes glory. And so be aware of the temptation to, to constantly look at reversing this. right? And be mindful of these temptations even in Christian circles. Right? In your Bible studies or, or when you guys get together in fellowship groups or in small groups and all this stuff, be careful of trying to reverse the order for someone when God is trying to work something out there that, that you're just trying to change it. Pray for the Lord's will to be done. Be supportive of that. And be aware of that temptation to constantly look at reversing things or, or constantly trying to cure people's problems or, or be their solutions to things or provide them answers to their everything. Be mindful of these temptations to do that. Now look at how Jesus dealt with them t- this temptation. You notice that in verse 8, Jesus didn't enter into an argument or a debate or, or against Satan or disagree with the details and stuff. Right? The devil said to Jesus, he said, to you I will give all this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me and I give it to whom I will. So you notice that, that Jesus didn't debate these non-core issues, right? Because, because there are some that are present here, right? Jesus could have argued the fact whether the devil was really given all this authority and their glory. Like, really? You think you were given this? And then debated that. 
And Jesus could have pointed out the implications and what it really meant for the devil to say, it has been delivered to me. Well, you know that verb delivered in the Greek, um, he could have done that. He could have, he could have gone through that mess. Right? Jesus could have brought up some eschatological argument, right? The, the end times of things, the last times. And as Christians, we have all these different sorts of ideas of the last days. Jesus could have debated the devil on that. And he could have said, well, you know, are you pre, post, ah, uh, whatever, millennialist, and blah, blah, blah. And it probably would have helped a lot of us Christians if he did do that. But, but you can see that it's a non-core issue. Otherwise, he would have said it doesn't matter. All that stuff was side stuff. It was off to the side. Jesus went straight for the jugular. Right in verse 8 to the devil's suggestion in verse 8, he says, If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. This is the devil saying this is saying. And Jesus answered him this, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. That's it. End of discussion. We don't have to talk about all this stuff. Worship God. He didn't waste his time hitting all these side issues stuff. He went right for the jugular. You shall worship the Lord your God, and only Him shall you serve. That was it. No debate, no argument of these side issues. He went to the core issue. Well, that's something for us to keep in mind. Right, stick to the core issues. Jesus was a master at this. Jesus was brilliant at this. Did you catch Jesus' remarkable statement here? You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. In other words, it is way more valuable to worship the true God than to have everything else. The entire world. All these other things that you want to bring before me, it's way more important and valuable to worship the true and living God. So do we have that view of worship? Do we have that kind of relationship with God where we have that much value? Do we believe that? Do you see what Jesus is implying here? It is far more valuable, it's far more significant to worship the true God than to possess the whole world. And the devil tries to throw Jesus off by, by focusing on his needs, by reversing the order of things, and thirdly, by confusing faith. See, the devil tries to confuse faith in verses 9 through 11. In verses 9 through 11, the, the, the devil is essentially questioning, questioning whether Jesus believes the scriptures. Right? Do you believe the scriptures are true? Whether the promises of scripture are, are trustworthy, whether Psalm 91 is really true because the devil knows scriptures as well. In fact, he probably knows it better than all of us combined. He's pretty bright. He's not dumb. So he refers to Psalm chapter 91 in verses 9 through 11. He reads this, And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command His angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. This is Psalm 91. And this is an incredible promise. But do you believe it, Jesus? Do you have faith in your Father's Word, Jesus? Because this is what He said. How much faith do you have? Right? If, if you are the Son of God, and if you completely trust your Dad, jump. Jump. I want to see it. 
Right? And if you really believe it, jump. How much faith do you really have? But is that really faith? See, this is an issue that we have. Some of our Christian vocabulary and our biblical concepts, they need to be more clearly defined. And faith is one of those things that it sometimes gets easily confused as well as other ideas and doctrines and things like that. It's easy to make things up and, and try to fit them into what we want them to mean and, and redefine things, right? And so the devil is trying to define faith as take a crazy risk that, that God has promised and, and, and jump. But is that faith? Is, is taking wild risks faith? And some people may pump themselves up to believe something that they know it's, it's true, that they know isn't true, right? But they just try to force it, and then they call it faith, right? They don't reason in their head why Christian faith is real faith. They just force themselves to believe it. I know it, I know it, I know it. But is that really faith that you just kind of like, I, I want to do it, force myself? Is that really faith? See, if we really had faith, does it mean we do have, that we have to do wild and crazy things? Or does it mean that we have to just shift all the logic and reasoning out of our heads and not, not take that in and, and think through what we really believe? So if Jesus had faith, he, he should have taken that leap of faith. And as he was falling down, uh, it said, I do believe in Psalm 91. And like, like, is that faith? Right, that, that's not what Jesus believes. Genuine faith doesn't have to be some dramatic evidence in order to go on trusting or believing. It doesn't necessitate that. Faith, in ways, it's like love. Right? For example, a, a husband might send his wife a beautiful bouquet of flowers, hint, hint, buy her some jewelry, um, take her to a nice dinner. You know, all sorts of things, you know, nice tangible things to show that she's loved and not just do it on Valentine's Day, but other times. And, sh- and, and, it, and it costs something. Th- those things all cost something, don't they? But that showing of love doesn't have to cost anything. It doesn't have to cost money. It doesn't have to be expensive. Love can be shown with things that don't cost anything. Nothing. I'm really good at this. Because I, I just don't, I just don't have that much money. You got to be creative, right? So, so just inviting her over to the couch and cuddling, okay? right? And, and you guys talk after the kids are put to bed, and and that same, sends the same message. Doing the dishes, right? Telling her that you enjoy being with her. And, and then you just kind of share in the household chores. You're not just sitting down watching Sports Center or whatever it is that you like watching. Just, just normal things. Nothing flashy. Just things that can happen in the span of the day where, where, where courtesy is shown, where consideration is shown. And going out for a walk after dinner. Maybe even holding her hand during that time. I don't know. And so none of those things cost money. Right? But it sends the same message. Nothing dramatic. It communicates just as loudly, if not louder. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's kind of what Jesus is doing here in faith. Right? And, and what Jesus responds with in verse 12. 
Jesus answered him and said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. What does Jesus mean here? You don't pressure God to always give you some dramatic, tangible, visible, spectacular proof that he cares about you. Right? If, if we really trust in God, do we really need all of that? Are the normal, routine, less dramatic things, are those things good enough? Are those things good enough for us? Right? When we continually put someone to the test, right? It, it, what that really means for you guys that are dating, what it really means is that you are mistrusted. Because you got to prove it over and over again. What's up with that? Do you really want to live a life? No way. Get out. Seriously. Don't stay in that. That's, that's ridiculous. Right? They, they, you always have to prove yourself with something fresh or dynamic and, and, and in order to show that you care or love somebody. Like, oh, I want to be pursued. And I want to, come on. It's good enough. That, that's bunk, man. If the guy's taking care of you and he's just not because you didn't go out on some awesome, dramatic date, forget about it. Find someone else. Anyway, anyone that demands that from someone is really saying that I, I don't really completely trust you. You've got to have to earn it. You've got to earn to be with me. And I'm not saying don't put effort into it. Put effort into showing that you care for that person, that you consider that person, that you're courteous towards that person. Do all that stuff. But if you have to keep proving yourself, that's tiring. Right? And so we're so much of this society where we're like, what have you done for me lately? And, and I don't know for you younger folks, but there was a song back then that, that was by Janet Jackson. And, and, and so we totally relate to this. But I don't know if you younger people. And, and in relationships, in politics, in employment, everything. Our culture likes to test people continually. It likes to make them prove themselves. And not just prove themselves just in like normal, kind of like consistent ways. But dramatic fashion. It's the one that, that makes the, the biggest sales, not consistently, like the biggest impact. Oh, you're promoted. Or the biggest, biggest plan to revive California. Oh yeah, let's pick them. But you don't pick, like, who's just that solidly consistent person that just proven track record all the time and you're going, but we're looking for like this dramatic thing, right? In everything, even in our relationships, we want to look for the dramatic thing. Where's the guy that's going to just like wow me like every day? Or, or the girl that's going to provide this thing for me all the time? Where is she? And so maybe some of us have to implement this into our own lives. Maybe some of us are looking for something spectacular or dramatic. All these types of different signs from God to deliver us from something difficult. Or, you know, or, but, and if he doesn't, that it's a sign that he doesn't care. That's not true. That's not true. You don't draw that conclusion that quickly that, oh, if God doesn't do these things for me or if He doesn't deliver me this out of this that quickly, He doesn't care. True faith is often low-key. It's on the DL. True love is on the DL. You don't see some guy out. The ones that you worry about are the ones that are always showing their stuff out in public and blah, 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 and then three years later they're done. The relationship's done. The ones that are always trying to like prove something or, or buy, buy their spouses big things. or, or You've got to be careful of that. Seriously. 
When you're looking at people, when I've done marital counseling and stuff, I always wonder, like, oh, should, he's buying big gifts. What's going on? They're in marital counseling. Or, or, and I'm not saying don't do it, because sometimes it, it warrants it. Sometimes it's a big occasion, you know, like, a, like a 10-year anniversary or, or Christmas time or birthdays and stuff like that. It, it's fine. Or, or even those offshoot moments. But if it's a way because you're feeling that, oh, I'm going to earn that person's love. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get, get that person to love me more. You've got to be careful. When, when there, and when we have these feelings that we don't have these reliefs from our present needs and when we just have to endure our suffering, you have to endure the suffering before you experience glory. Right? When, and then when there's no dramatic sign that God is caring for you in these spectacular ways, will we serve God even though we don't have those perks? When we don't have those benefits, because Jesus did. Verse 13, And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Jesus was tempted in every way. We talked about this last week, so I won't expound on it too much. But he was tempted in every way. He's been through what you've been through. And some of you might be thinking, how is that possible? But it says here, the devil had ended every temptation. Jesus totally sympathizes with where you're at. He knows exactly where you're at, what you're going through. He's endured. Let's pray. God, we thank you uh, for your word. And Lord, for those folks who um, seem to have no relief through the trial or tribulation that they're going through now, when they're just enduring the suffering, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would remind them that the suffering precedes the glory. And Lord, for those of us who look for dramatic signs or or things that are just more spectacular to show that you care for us, I pray, Lord, that um, we would be content and just normal, routine, less dramatic signs that you show us, like providing food for us every day in manna, or just whatever simple ways that you, you show us, Lord, to remind us of those routine, less dramatic things. In Jesus' name, amen.